Good day, good morning, good day, good afternoon, and welcome to Auditing the Global Capital Markets with Allison. We have a great program for you today. And because it is the end of March, March 31st, 2023, uh, we have to celebrate the beginning of spring from a few days ago. And these next three lovely months of beautiful weather uh, that evolve all around the world. So welcome to springtime. And I'm bringing up the weather and our climate because today is gonna be a very challenging day. We're gonna cover one of the major contributors to the global capital markets of $1,540 trillion that are circulating across the globe right now. And that's the fossil fuel industry. And its effect on the globe, our climate, and everything that's happening around the world as it relates to our global environmental degradation and destruction of this earth. So let's back up and let's talk about what is a fossil fuel. A fossil fuel is a hydrocarbon containing material such as coal, oil, and natural gas formed naturally in the earth's crust from the remains of dead plants and animals that is, that is extracted and burned as a fuel. Fossil fuels may be burned to provide heat for use directly, such as for cooking or heating, to power engines, such as internal combustion engines and motor vehicles, or to generate electricity. Some fossil fuels are refined into derivatives such as kerosene, gasoline, and propane before burning. The origin of fossil fuels is the anaerobic decomposition of buried dead organisms containing organic molecules created by photosynthesis. The conversion from these materials to high carbon fossil fuels typically require a geological process of millions of years. In 2019, 84% of primary energy consumption in the world and 64% of its electricity was from fossil fuels. Indeed, I wanna make sure we remember from the last six weeks of our programming that $112 trillion of that total is from the fossil fuel industry. It's a major contributor to the global capital markets. And that is why we understand the challenge of making the shift from fossil fuels the large-scale burning of fossil fuels causes serious environmental damage. Over 80% of the carbon dioxide generated by human activity comes from burning them, around 35 billion tons a year, compared to 4 billion from land development. Natural processes on Earth, mostly absorption by the ocean, can only remove a small part of this. Therefore, there is a net increase of many billion tons of atmospheric carbon dioxide per year. Although methane leaks are significant, the burning of fossil fuels is the main source of greenhouse gas emissions, causing global warming and ocean acidification. Additionally, most air pollution deaths are due to fossil fuel particulates and noxious gases. 
it is estimated that this costs over 3% of the global domestic product and that fossil fuel phase out will save millions of lives each year. Recognition of the climate crisis, pollution, and other negative impacts caused by fossil fuels has led to a widespread policy transition and activist movement focused on ending their use in favor of sustainable energy. However, because the fossil fuel industry is so heavily integrated in the global economy and heavily subsidized, this transition is expected to have significant economic impacts. Many stakeholders argue that this change needs to be a just transition and create policy that addresses the societal burdens created by the stranded assets of the fossil fuel industry. International policy in the form of United Nations Sustainable Development Goals for affordable and clean energy and climate action, as well as the Paris Climate Change Agreement, is designed to facilitate this transition at a global level. And as we know, the climate uh, agreement from Paris has now been expanded uh, with the most recent meeting in Sharm el Sheikh in 2022. In 2021, the International Energy Agency concluded that no new fossil fuel extraction projects could be opened if the global economy and society wants to avoid the worst impacts of climate change and meet international goals for climate change mitigation. So if you look at the origin of the fossil fuels, the theory that fossil fuels formed from the fossilized remains of dead plants by exposure to heat and pressure in Earth's crust over millions of years was first introduced by Andreas Libavus in his 1597 Alchemia and later by Mikhail Lomonosov as early as 1757 and certainly by 1763. The first use of the term fossil fuel occurs in the work of the German chemist, Caspar Neumann, in English transla translation in 1759. The Oxford English Dictionary notes that in the phrase fossil fuel, the adjective fossil means obtained by digging, found buried in the earth, which dates to at least 1652, before the English noun fossil came to refer primarily to long dead organisms in the early 18th century. Aquatic phytoplankton and zooplankton that died and sedimented in large quantities under anoxic conditions millions of years ago began forming petroleum and natural gas as a result of anaerobic decomp decomposition. Over geological time, this organic matter mixed with mud became buried under further heavy layers of inorganic sediment. The resulting high temperature and pressure caused the organic matter to chemically alter, first into a waxy material known as kerrigan, which is found in oil shales, and then with more heat into liquid and gaseous hydro hydrocarbons in a process known as ketogenesis. Despite these heat-driven transformations, the energy released in combustion is still photosynthetic in origin. Terrestrial plants tended to form coal and methane. Many of the coal fields date to the carbon 
Carboniferous period of Earth's history. Terrestrial plants also form type three kerrigan, a source of natural gas. Although fossil fuels are continually formed by natural processes, they are classified as non-renewable resources because they take millions of years to form and known viable reserves are being depleted much faster than new ones are generated. And that's very important to acknowledge. Fossil fuels have been important to human development because they can be readily burned in the open atmosphere to produce heat. The use of peat as a domestic fuel predates recorded history. Coal was burned in some early furnaces for the smelting of metal ore, which semi-solid hydrocarbons from oil seeps were also burned in ancient times. They were mostly used for waterproofing and embalming. Commercial exploitation of petroleum began in the 19th century. Natural gas once flared off as an unneeded byproduct of petroleum production is now considered a very valuable resource. Natural gas deposits are also the main source of helium. Heavy crude oil, which is more viscous than conventional crude oil and oil sands where vitamin is found mixed with sand and clay, began to become more important as sources of fossil fuel in the early 2000s. Oil shell and similar materials are sedimentary rocks containing kerogen, a complex mixture of high molecular weight organic compounds, which yield synthetic crude oil when heated, pyrolyzed. With additional processing, they can be employed instead of other established fossil fuels during the 2010s and 2020s, there was disinvestment from exploitation of such resources due to their high carbon cost relative to more easily processed reserves. Prior to the latter half of the 18th century, windmills and water mills provided the energy needed for work, such as milling flour, sawing wood, or pumping water, while burning wood or peat provided domestic heat. The wide-scale use of fossil fuels, coal at first and petroleum later, and steam engines enabled the Industrial Revolution. At the same time, gas lights using natural gas or coal gas were coming into wide use. The invention of the internal combustion engine and its use in automobiles and trucks greatly increased the demand for gasoline and diesel oil, both made from fossil fuels. Other forms of transportation railways and aircraft also require fossil fuels. The other major use for fossil fuels is in generating electricity and as feedback for the petrochemical industry. Tar, a leftover of petroleum extraction, is used in the construction of roads. The energy for the green revolution was provided by fossil fuels in the form of fertilizers, which come from natural gas, pesticides, which come from oil, and hydrocarbon-fueled irrigation. The development of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer has significantly supported global population growth. It has been estimated that almost half of the Earth's population are currently fed as a result of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer use, according to head of a fertilizer's commodity price agency, quote, 
50% of the world's food relies on fertilizers, which are coming from natural gas. So you see how intricately connected all of the fossil fuels are, which is why they estimate it's up to $112 trillion of the total human activity on the planet Earth involved in some form of the fossil fuels industry and the production of fossil fuels and the use of fossil fuels. Now let's talk about the environmental effects. The burning of fossil fuels has a number of negative externalities. Harmful environmental impacts where the effects extend beyond the people using the fuel. The actual effects depend on the fuel in question. All fossil fuels release CO2 or carbon dioxide when they burn, thus accelerating climate change. Burning coal and to a lesser extent oil and its derivatives contribute to atmospheric particulate matter, smog and acid rain. Climate change is largely driven by the release of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide, CO2, with the burning of fossil fuels being the main source of these emissions. In most parts of the world, climate change is negatively impacting ecosystems. This includes contributing to the extinction of species and reducing people's ability to produce food, thus adding to the problem of world hunger. Continued rises in global temperatures will lead to further adverse effects on both ecosystems and people, with the World Health Organization having stated climate change is the greatest threat to human health in the 21st century. Combustion of fossil fuels generates sulfuric and nitric acids, which fall to earth as acid rain, impacting both natural areas and the built environment. Monuments and sculptures made from marble and limestone are particularly vulnerable as the acids dissolve calcium carbonate. Fossil fuels also contain radioactive materials, mainly uranium, and thorium, which are released into the atmosphere. In 2000, about 12,000 tons of thorium and 5,000 tons of uranium were released worldwide from burning coal. It is estimated that during 1982, U.S. coal burning released 155 times as much radioactivity into the atmosphere as the Three Mile Island accident. Just digest that for a moment, just from burning coal in this USA territory, releasing 155 times as much radioactivity as the Three Mile Isle Island accident. Burning coal also generates large amounts of bottom ash and fly ash. By the way, just so that you know, the Three Mile Island accident was a partial meltdown of the Three Mile Island Unit 2 reactor on the Susquehanna River in the Londonderry Township of Pennsylvania back in 1979. Burning coal also generates large amounts of bottom ash and fly ash. These materials are used in a wide variety of applications, utilizing, for example, about 40% of the United States production. In addition to the effects that result from burning, the harvesting, processing, and distribution of fossil fuels also have environmental e effects. 
Coal mining methods, particularly mountaintop removal and strip mining, have negative environmental impacts, and offshore oil drilling poses a hazard to aquatic organisms. Fossil fuel wells can contribute to methane release via fugitive gas emissions. Oil refineries also have negative environmental impacts, including air and water pollution. Coal is sometimes transported by diesel-powered locomotives, while crude oil is typically transported by tanker ships, requiring the combustion of additional fossil fuels. A variety of mitigating efforts have arisen to counter the negative effects of fossil fuels. This includes a movement to use alternative energy sources, such as renewable energy. Environmental regulation uses a variety of approaches to limit these emissions. For example, rules against releasing waste products like fly ash into the atmosphere. In December 2020, the United Nations released a report saying that despite the need to reduce greenhouse emissions, various governments are doubling down on fossil fuels, in some cases diverting over 50% of their COVID-19 recovery stimulus funding to fossil fuel production rather than to alternative energy. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, declared that humanity is waging war on nature. This is suicidal. Nature always strikes back, and it is already doing so with growing force and fury. However, Guterres also said that there is still cause for hope, anticipating that President Joe Biden's plan for the U.S. to join other large emitters like China and the European Union in adopting targets to reach net zero emissions by 2050, gives us all hope. Fossil fuels are also a cause of illness and deaths. Environmental pollution from fossil fuels impacts humans because particulates and other air pollution from fossil fuel combustion cause illness and death when inhaled. These health effects include premature death, acute respiratory illness, aggravated asthma, chronic bronchitis, and decreased lung function. The poor, undernourished, very young, and very old, and people with pre-existing respiratory disease and other ill health are more at risk. Global air pollution deaths due to fossil fuels have been estimated at a, over 8 million people. 2018, nearly one in five deaths worldwide were caused by global air pollution due to fossil fuels, and at 10.2 million in 2019. While all energy sources inherently have adverse effects, the data shows that fossil fuels cause the highest levels of greenhouse gas emissions and are the most dangerous for human health. In contrast, modern renewable energy sources appear to be safer for human health and cleaner. The death rate from accidents and air pollution in the European Union are as follows per terawatt hour. Coal, 24.6, oil, 18.4 deaths, natural gas, 2.8 deaths, biomass, 4.6 deaths, hydropower, 0.02 deaths, nuclear energy, 0.07 deaths, wind, 0.04 deaths, and solar, 0.02 deaths. The greenhouse gas emissions from energy sources are as follows, measured in tons. Coal, 820 tons, oil, 720 tons, natural gas, 490 tons, 
biomass, 78 to 230 tons, hydropower, 34 tons, nuclear energy, only three tons, wind, four tons, and solar, only five tons. As the data shows, coal, oil, natural gas, and biomass cause higher death rates and higher levels of greenhouse gas emissions than hydropower, nuclear energy, nuclear energy, wind, and solar power. Scientists propose that 1.8 million lives have been saved by replacing fossil fuel sources with nuclear power. So it's clear that we you know, have to move towards a fossil fuel phase out. That is really the goal. The fossil fuel phase out is the gradual reduction of the use and production of fossil fuels to zero to reduce deaths and illness from air pollution, limit climate change, and to strengthen energy independence. It is part of the ongoing renewable energy transition. Fossil fuel phase out is the gradual reduction of the use and production of fossil fuels to reduce deaths and illness from air pollution, limit climate change, and to strengthen energy independence. It is part of the ongoing renewable energy transition. We know that air pollution is the contamination of air due to the presence of substances in the atmosphere that are harmful to the health of humans and other living beings or cause damage to the climate or to materials. It is also the contamination of indoor or outdoor surrounding either by chemicals. Climate change mitigation is action to limit climate change by reducing emissions of greenhouse gases or removing those gases from the atmosphere. The recent rise in global average temperature is mostly caused by emissions from fossil fuels burning. Mitigation can reduce emissions by transitioning to green energy. Energy independence is independence or autarky regarding energy resources, energy supply, and or energy generation by the energy industry. And the renewable energy transition is a significant structural change in an energy system regarding supply and consumption. Currently, a transition to sustainable energy is underway to limit climate change. It is also called renewable energy transition. The current transition is driven by a recognition that we need to make a change across the globe. Just transition is a framework developed by the trade union movement to encompass a range of social interventions needed to secure workers' rights and livelihoods while economies are shifting to sustainable production, primarily combating climate change and protecting biodiversity. In Europe, advocates for a just transition want to unite social and climate justice, for example, for coal workers in coal-dependent developing regions who lack employment opportunities beyond coal. Divestment. Fossil fuel divestment or fossil fuel divestment and investment in climate solutions is an attempt to reduce climate change by exerting social, political, and economic pressure for the institutional divestment of assets, including stocks, bonds, and other financial instruments connected to companies involved in extracting fossil fuels. Fossil fuel divestment campaigns emerged on campuses in the USA in 2011, 
with students urging their administrations to turn endowment investments in that fossil fuel industry into investments in clean energy and communities most impacted by climate change. In 2012, Unity College in Maine became the first institution of higher learning to divest its endowment from fossil fuels. By 2015, fossil fuel divestment was reportedly the fastest growing divestment movement in history. In October 2021, a total of 1,485 institutions representing $39.2 trillion in assets worldwide had begun or committed to a divestment from fossil fuels. You can hear the excitement in my voice because that's a big chunk of our $1,540 trillion circulating. To have almost $40 trillion divested from fossil fuels, it's gonna cause the transition. In 2019, when we look at the industrial sector overall, Saudi Aramco of Saudi Arabia was listed and it reached a $2 trillion valuation on its second day of trading after the world's largest initial public offering. Because as you can imagine, with $112 trillion invested in the fossil fuel industry worldwide, um, all these fossil fuel companies are multi-trillion dollar companies. The air pollution is an economic effect from fossil fuels. And in 2018, it has been estimated to cause almost $3 trillion or 3.3% of the global gross domestic product. And as we talked about on the previous show, we know that um, the global domestic product is very important because it, it is a monetary measure of the market value of all the final goods and services produced and sold in a specific time period by a country or countries. Generally, quote, without double counting the intermediate goods and services used up to produce them, unquote. So that's usually why they call it a gross domestic product. Let's talk about those subsidies that we know that the fossil fuels industry is receiving. Fossil fuel subsidies are energy subsidies on fossil fuels. They may be tax breaks on consumption, such as a lower sales tax on natural gas for residential heating or subsidies on production, such as tax breaks on exploration for oil, or they may be free or cheap negative externalities, such as air pollution or climate change due to burning gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Some fossil fuel subsidies are via electricity generation, such as subsidies for coal-fired power stations. Eliminating fossil fuel subsidies would reduce the health risks of air pollution and would greatly reduce global carbon emissions, thus helping to limit climate change. As of 2021, policy researchers estimate that substantially more money is spent on fossil fuel subsidies than on environmental harmful agricultural subsidies or environmental harmful water subsidies. The International Energy Agency says that high fossil fuel prices hit the poor hardest but subsidies are rarely targeted to protect vulnerable groups and tend to better benefit um, the better off segments of the population. Despite the G20 countries, and just so that you know, the G20 countries, um, that's an interesting forum that uh, we can dive into. The G20 
uh, or Group of 20 is an intergovernmental forum comprising 19 countries and the European Union. And it works to address major issues related to the global economy, such as international financial stability, climate change mitigation, and sustainable development. And the G20 countries having pledged to phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies as of 2023, they continue because of voter demand or for energy security. Global fossil fuel consumption subsidies in 2022 have been estimated at $1 trillion. Although they vary each year depending on oil prices, there are consistently hundreds of billions of dollars. That just gives you a sense. One trillion is normally the amount of subsidies that uh, we have to use to help people use these global fossil fuels. So it's a way of almost, you know, subsidizing the fossil fuel industry because you're giving that trillion dollars so people can buy their oil and their gas. And you see. The fossil fuels lobby is also something we have to discuss in terms of their lobbying activities. The fossil fuel lobbies includes paid representatives of corporations involved in the fossil fuel industry, oil, gas, coal, as well as related industries like chemicals, plastics, aviation, and other transportation. Because of their wealth and the importance of energy, transport, and chemical industries to local national and international economies, these lobbies have the capacity and money to attempt to have outsized influence governmental policy. So they, these lobbies, they have the capacity and the money to attempt, but I would say they do. They don't just attempt to have outsized influence on governmental policy. They have an outside influence on governmental policy. In particular, the lobbies have been known to obstruct policy related to environmental protection, environmental health, and climate action. And environmental protection is the practice of protecting the natural environment by individuals, groups, and governments. Its objectives are to conserve natural resources and the existing natural environment, and where possible, to repair damage and reverse trends. Environmental health is the branch of public health concerned with all aspects of the natural and built environment affecting human health in order to effectively control factors that may affect health, the requirements that must be met in order to create a healthy environment, and they must be determined to be a priority. And we know that climate action is really what they're up to in terms of climate mitigation. Climate change mitigation is action to limit climate change by reducing emissions of greenhouse gases or removing those gases from the atmosphere. The recent rise in global average temperature is mostly caused by emissions from fossil fuels burning and mitigation can reduce emissions by transitioning to green energy. Lobbies are active in most fossil fuel intensive economies with democratic governance with reporting on the lobbies most prominent in Canada, Australia, the USA, and Europe. However, the lobbies are present in many parts of the world. Big oil companies such as ExxonMobil, Shell, British Petroleum, Total Energies or Total, Chevron Corporation, and ConocoPhillips are among the largest corporations 
associated with the fossil fuels lobby. The American Petroleum Institute is a powerful industrial industry lobbyist for big oil with significant clout in Washington, D.C. The American Petroleum Institute is the largest USA trade association for the oil and natural gas industry. It claims to represent nearly 600 corporations involved in production, refinement, distribution, and many other aspects of the petroleum industry. Big oil is the name used to describe the world's six or seven largest publicly traded and investor-owned oil and gas companies, also known as super majors. The term, particularly in the USA, emphasizes their economic power and influence on politics. So those are the folks that are behind the um, blocking of all this work to do climate ad mitigation. Some observers have also been critical of the presence of major fossil fuel companies at global forums for decision-making like the Intergovernmental like Panel on Climate Change, pardon me, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the Paris Climate Agreement negotiations, the plastic and other international forums. The lobby is known for exploiting international crises such as the COVID-19 pandemic or the, 22, the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine to try to roll back existing regulations or justify new fossil fuel development. And we, we can see that happening right now across the world. So diving into the fossil fuels, understanding what they are and where they come from all of that really helps us to understand the situation. It really helps us understand the, you know, dirty facts. Mining, drilling, and burning dirty energy are harming the environment and our health. So let's just talk about everything you need to know about fossil fuels and why we need to embrace a clean energy future. So this is what we're gonna talk about to just round out our understanding because we can see where the fossil fuels come from and how they're contributing to global warming, to climate change. Yet we see the power of the industry because how much of the global capital markets they occupy. And that's why fossil fuels are a very important part of the global economy. And it's very challenging for us to look at how we can leave the fossil fuels and move on to green energy. But the shift will happen. So there are tremendous uh, efforts being made across the country uh, to move us forward. And I thought it was extremely interesting that the divestiture movement from fossil fuels started by students has continued to grow. And I think that will um, make a big difference moving forward as well. It is currently, uh, when you look at the overall world energy supply and consumption, you can see that really the majority is coming from the fossil fuels. So oil being the highest, 
right now, if you look at the trend from 2000 to 2021, you can see the other renewables have grown about 16% a year, but the natural gas is still growing at about 2.5% a year. Nuclear is growing about 0.8% a year and hydrocarbons about 1.1% a year. There does seem to be a negative growth of global energy consumption for coal. It's about negative 0.1% per year and about negative 0.8% per year for oil. So it looks like there has been a bit of a reduction. But overall, world energy supply and consumption, which is the global production and preparation of fuel, generation of electricity, energy transport, and energy consumption, it is a basic part of economic activity. It includes heat, but not energy from food. So if you look at it, energy production is 80% fossil, half of which is produced by China, the USA, and the Arab states of the Persian Gulf. So those are the big producers of the fossil fuel at 80%. The Gulf states and Russia export most of their production largely to the European Union and China where not enough energy is produced to satisfy demand. Energy production is increasing at about one to 2% per year, except for solar and wind energy, which averaged about 20% per year in the 20 and 2010s. Produced energy, for instance, crude oil is processed to make it suitable for consumption by end users. The supply chain between production and final consumption involves many conversion activities and much trade and transport among countries, causing a loss of one quarter of energy before it is consumed. So that just shows um, how much is going into the atmosphere unnecessarily because of loss. Energy consumption per person in North America is very high while in most of Africa, it is low and more renewable. There were significant declines in energy usage worldwide caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, especially in the iron and steel industry as demand for new construction shrank. An increase in the global demand for manufactured goods by the iron and steel industry could increase consumption to levels similar to that in 2019. Of about 50 billion tons worldwide annual total greenhouse gas emissions, 36 billion tons of carbon dioxide was emitted due to the energy, almost all from fossil fuels in 2021. The goal set in the Paris Agreement to limit climate change will not nearly be reached. Several scenarios to achieve the goal are developed. Many countries you know, publish statistics on the energy supply and consumption of either their own country of other countries of interest or all the countries combined in one chart. And one of the largest organizations to do that is the, Inter the International Energy Agency. And uh, they produce a energy data and a handbook and a yearbook um, so that the data can be a little bit more accessible. Um, but the International Energy Agency is a Paris-based autonomous intergovernmental organization established in 1974 that provides policy recommendations, analysis, and data on the entire global energy sector. The, three, the 31 member countries and 11 association countries of the IEA, or the International Energy Agency, are 75% of the entire uh, membership.
So the worldwide production of energy extracted or captured directly from natural resources. We can see uh, in the energy statistics, primary energy, uh, it's usually classified as fossil, which is using coal, crude oil, and natural gas. And as of 2020, world total primary energy consumption by fuel, 31.2% was oil, 27.2% was coal, 24.7% was natural gas, 6.9% was hydro or renewables, 4.3% was nuclear, and 5.7% was renewables or others. So, as you know, renewable can be using biomass, geothermal, hydropower, solar, tidal, wave, wind, and among others. That's the renewables, which is up 5.7%. So it's still quite small, but it's growing. And that's what we need to see increase. And I think that's, that's the most important part when we look at um, trying to understand where the fossil fuels are right now. And, you know, the total energy consumption um, and why it's so important um, that we move more and more um, to, to phase out of fossil fuel. So these are very important because we'll be breaking down all $1,540 trillion. And I wanted to take the largest chunk, which is the fossil fuel industry, and be able to understand it a little bit more. And I think when we dive in uh, and go into some of these companies, I think that will also give us some very uh, important understanding because we already reviewed um, the lobbying activities that these companies have. But as you could see, every year, these companies are producing multi-trillion dollar returns. And that's you know part of the $112 trillion picture. Uh, and there is a movement right now to ask if there's excess profits from the fossil fuel industry, can we have that used and redirected into the climate change mitigation work? And that there are a tremendous amount of movements to make that happen. And we also see um, that being discussed during the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the Paris Climate Agreement. So if we dive into the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, it is an intergovernmental body of the United Nations charged with advancing scientific knowledge about anthropogenic climate change. It was established in 1988 by the World Meteorological Organization and the United Nations Environmental Program. It was endorsed by the United Nations in 1989. It has a secretariat in Geneva, Switzerland, hosted by the World Meteorological Organization, the WMO, and is governed by 195 member states. The IPCC informs governments about the state of knowledge on climate change, including possible response options and the natural economic and social impacts and risks. It does not conduct original research but undertakes periodic and systemic reviews of all relevant scientific publications 
by enlisting thousands of volunteer scientists and experts. Observers have described this work as the biggest peer review process in the scientific community. Key findings are compiled into periodic assessment reports for policymakers and the general public. And this is very important. This is where we're getting all of our information and it is governed by member states uh, which elect a Bureau of Scientists to serve through an assessment cycle of six to seven years. And the Bureau selects experts to prepare the reports, drawing from nominations by governments and observer organizations. The IPCC carries out its activities through three working groups and a task force. The IPCC is an internationally accepted authority on climate change. Its findings are endorsed by leading climate scientists and all member governments, while its reports are regularly cited by media, governments, civil society organizations, and businesses. IPCC reports play a key role in the annual climate negotiations held by the United Nations Framework on Climate Change. The fifth assessment report influenced the landmark Paris Agreement in 2015. The IPCC shared the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize with Al Gore for contributions to the understanding of climate change. In 2015, the IPCC began its sixth assessment cycle to be completed in 2023. So it was just published actually. In 2021, in August, the IPCC published its working group contribution to the sixth assessment report on the physical science basis of climate change. And the Guardian newspaper described this report as the starkest warming yet of major inevitable and irreversible climate change. And many newspapers around the world echoed this theme and it has continued um, for quite some time. These reports and all of this uh, work to look at everything that's been going on um, because of the tremendous reports of the IPCC. When we look at the Paris Agreement, which was one of the most monumental, they're referred to either as the Paris Accords or the Paris Climate Accords or the Paris Agreement. And it's an international treaty on climate change. And it was adopted in 2015. And the agreement covers climate change, mitigation, adaptation, and finance. The Paris Agreement was negotiated by 196 parties at the 2015 United Nations Climate Change Conference near Paris, France. And as of February, 2023, 195 members of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change are parties to the agreement. Of the four United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change member states, which have not ratified the agreement, the other major emitter is Iran. The United Nations is urging all of the remaining four to sign. Now, the United Nations uh, was surprised because the USA, we withdrew from the agreement in 2020, but luckily we rejoined in 2021. The Paris Agreement was open for signature on April 22nd, 2016 at a ceremony in New York. After the European Union ratified the agreement, sufficient countries had ratified the agreement responsible for enough of the world's greenhouse gases for the agreement to enter into force on November 4th, 2016. Now, the Paris Agreement's long-term temperature goal is to keep the rise in mean global temperature to well below two degrees Celsius or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. 
above the pre-industrial levels and preferably limit the increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, recognizing that this would substantially reduce the effects of climate change. Emissions should be reduced as soon as possible and reach net zero by the middle of the 20th, 21st century to stay below the 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. Emissions need to be cut by roughly 50% by 2030. This is an aggregate of each country's nationally determined contributions. It aims to help countries adapt to climate change effects and mobilize enough finance. Under the agreement, each country must determine, plan, and regularly report on its contributions. No mechanism forces a country to set specific emission targets, but each target should go beyond previous targets. In contrast to the 1997 Kyoto Protocol, the distinction between developed and developing countries is blurred, so that the latter also have to submit plans for emission. But reductions, you have to submit plans for emission reduction. So all people um, in the, all the countries in the uh, agreement have a climate target or a climate goal or climate pledge. And it's a measurable commitment for climate policy and energy policy with the aim of limiting the climate change. Researchers within, among others, the United Nations Climate Panel have identified probable consequences of global warming for people and nature if we don't. So they're giving a, an enhanced transparency framework for action, the ETF, the Enhanced Transpar Transparency Framework for Action and Support is a central component to the design and credibility and operation of the Paris Agreement. The framework specifies how parties to the agreement must report on progress in climate change mitigation and adaptation measures. The agreement was lauded by world leaders, but criticized as insufficiently binding by some environmentalists and analysts. There is a debate about the effectiveness of the agreement while current pledges under the Paris Agreement are insufficient for reaching the set temperature goals, there is a mechanism of increased ambition. The Paris Agreement has been successful in some climate litigation by forcing countries and an oil company to strengthen climate action. On July 4th, 2022, the Supreme Federal Court of Brazil recognized the Paris Agreement as a human rights treaty. That's huge. The United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change adopted at the 1992 Earth Summit, that was in Rio de Janeiro, is one of the first international treaties on the topic. It stipulates that parties should meet regularly to address climate change at the conference of parties or the conference of parties COP. It forms the foundation for future climate agreements. The Kyoto Protocol adopted in 1997 regulated greenhouse gas reductions for a limited set of countries from 2008 to 2012. The protocol was extended until 2020 with the Doha Amendment in 2012. The United States decided not to ratify the protocol, mainly because of its legally binding nature. This and distributional conflict led to failures of subsequent international climate negotiations. The 2009 negotiations were intended to produce a successor treaty of Kyoto 
but the negotiations collapsed and the resultant Copenhagen Accord was not legally binding and did not get adopted universally. The Accord did lay the framework for bottom-up approach for the, of the Paris Agreement under the leadership of the UNFCCC Executive Secretary Cristiana Figueres. Negotiation remained um, strong and regained momentum after Copenhagen's failure. During the 2011 United Nations Climate Change Conference, the Durban Platform was established to negotiate a legal instrument governing climate change mitigation measures from 2020. The, the platform had a mandate to be informed by the fifth assessment report of the IPCC and the work of the subsidiary bodies of the UNFCCC. The resulting agreement was to be adopted in 2015. Negotiations in Paris took place over a two week span and continued throughout the three final nights. And that happens in every conference for the uh, UNFCCC. So they had various drafts and proposals and they debated and streamlined, you know, many of the things from the preceding year. And according to one commentator, two ways in which the French increased the likelihood of success were firstly, to ensure that INDCs were completed before the start of the negotiations. And secondly, to invite leaders just for the beginning of the conference. So that made it more effective. The negotiations almost failed because of a single word, word from when the USA legal team realized at the last minute that shall, quote unquote, had been improved and uh, been ratified and approved rather than quote, should, unquote, meaning that developing countries would have been legally obliged to cut emissions. The French solved the problem by changing it as a typographical error. At the conclusion of COP21, the 21st meeting of the Conference of the Parties on December 12, 2015, the final wording of the Paris Agreement was adopted by consensus by the 195 UNFCCC participating member states and the European Union. So as you know, uh, we are now on almost COP30. <laughs> so they've continued um, to have these negotiations and the Paris Agreement was such a strong one, which is why I wanted us to dive into it today to understand why everyone refers to the Paris Agreement uh, because it is the most legally binding, most powerful, most strong, and uh, you know, people are basically building on on that uh, particular treaty. So we're looking at uh, those, you know, almost ninety eight percent of all anthropogenic emissions have ratified the Paris Agreement. So it's just Iran with two percent of the world total, Libya and Yemen, who have all not ratified the agreement. Um, because even Eritrea, as of last month, just ratified the agreement. So we just have the last uh, three countries. So we're down to three to, to ratify it. So a lot of good progress. So the greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise and it is a tremendous problem. And it's all from the fossil fuel industry and the fossil fuels being released around the world. And that's why we wanted to dive into this today and really listen to the facts, read and understand the facts and the science so that we can have a clear understanding of the total $1,540 trillion that are circulating and getting clear that 
the 112 trillion that come from fossil fuels. And this being one example of an area that we want to shift if we want to have a sustainable life on this planet Earth. We know that total fossil fuel carbon dioxide emissions from 2000 to 2020 were rising. In China, they were up almost 2%. Uh, and they were up 2.2% in India. And only in the United States was there a drop of a little less than 1.7%. And then in the European Union, uh, we had a drop of about 2.8%. Thank you so much for joining us this week for auditing the global capital markets with Allison. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at 2414morgan.com or www.2414mdinternational.com. I'm on all social media, Facebook as Allison Johnson, LinkedIn as Allison Johnson, Pinterest, as well as Twitter. I am Global Citizen, AJ or at International Day of Peace on Twitter. Look forward to our next dialogue. Please be in touch. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think about auditing the global capital markets with Allison. Until next time, have a great day and a great spring.